night in Yerushalayim. And we're learning the parasha of Re'eh. This week's parasha Re'eh. The parasha begins, if you have a sheet, you can get the sheets, by the way, by uh, just connecting to Web Yeshiva on Facebook. It's all there. And the sheet is there. Then all you have to do is print it out. And uh, we're together. If you don't do that, then you just have to listen. That might not be such an easy thing to do. And it will start with we'll start with the uh, the beginning of the parasha on the back side of the sheet. Sheet, well, page number two. Page number two. Page number two says the pasuk Parakut Aleph, Sukim Kavav Kavzayin and Kavchet. So Perik, uh, the pasuk says Re'eh. Re'eh is a kind of way of calling out. Why that word is used here specifically, it's hard for me to say. Anochi hayom. I mean, it's a Kodesh Baruch who's speaking through the mouth of Moshe Rabbeinu. Anochi, Anochi is a, a pronoun that's used when God speaks. Like the beginning of Aserat Adibrot, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Anochi notein ifneichem hayom. I'm placing before for you, just like the beginning of the parish of Mishpatim, Ela Mishpatim that God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Here it's notain lifnechem, and in the other parish in Mishpatim it's shetasim lifnechem. Bracha uklala. Bracha uklala refers to the result. The result can be a bracha, and the result can be a klala, a curse. It could either be a blessing or a curse. That's what the... So Rashi just connects us to the uh, kind of context. We're not talking about, even though this speech is being made in our vot Moab, right when Moshe Rabbeinu was still leading B'nai Yisrael up to the Jordan River, even though he's going to die before B'nai Yisrael go into Eretz Yisrael. But when they come into Eretz Yisrael, they go in the direction of Shechem, and there there's Harguizim and Harebel, and uh, the Bracha and the Klala, some associated with that. We can't get into that tonight, but we'll have another chance. Pasuk of Zion, et ha-bracha, so I'll tell you, what is the bracha? Asher tishmuel mitzvot Hashem elokechem, asher anochim mitzavet chem ayom. So if you listen to what God directs you to do, then, then you're going to get bracha. You're going to be blessed. It's the natural result of living a proper kind of life. And then the pasuk says, well, uh, Rashi, Rashi changes it around a little. It says, "Eta bracha, al menata shertishmu." You get the bracha in order to listen. I guess to keep listening it encourages you. It's an encouragement. And then you have the last of the psukim that we're interested in. Aklala, im lo tishmu mitzvot Hashem elokechem, 
וסרטן מן הדרך אשר הולך ומצווה אתכם היום ללכת אחרי אלוהים אחרים אשר לא ידעתם, translation, בקללה, the curse that is being referred to, that you're going to be cursed. When will you be cursed? אם לא תשמעו אל מצוות השם אלוקיכם. If you don't listen to the מצוות that are directed to you from heaven, from השם אלוקיכם. Second clause, וסרטן מן הדרך אשר אנחנו מסבכו אתכם באיזה דרך. All of these mitzvot, they are not just individual mitzvot, but they are part of a derech, part of a way, a road that you are supposed to go along, right? And finally, the third phrase, third clause, lalechet acharei Elohim acharim asher lo yedatem, that you're going to, you're going to, uh, uh, go after foreign gods, other gods, asher lo yedatem, Rashi says, lalechet, hey lamadatha, shekolo veid avodah zara, Rashi calls it by name, he calls it avodah zara, foreign, foreign service, foreign god, arei usar mikol adar shenitztabu Yisrael, a person who does avodah zara, that's the worst possible thing, because then you, not at all connected to the road that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to go on. Mikhan Amru, Kol HaModeh B'Avodah Zarah, Kekofer B'Kol HaTorah Kula. From this we say that Avodah Zarah, that if you involve yourself in Avodah Zarah, then you are, it's as though you're committing the whole Torah, to the, denying the entire Torah, what is Torah is, is kind of in some way the main transgression. And so, so we wonder, we wonder why it was that Moshe Rabbeinu at this time, at the end of the 38 years sojourn in the desert, at the end of this period of punishment for the Chet HaMoraglim and probably also the Chet of the Egel Azahav, the Golden Calf. Why, why is it that Moshe is so nervous about idolatry? I mean, didn't B'nai Yisrael learn about their own deficiencies in this area and that they have to uh, own up to, to their responsibility and to their obligation? I mean, why is it that what is it that puts idolatry? And the, the entire book of Tvarim, by the way, is replete with mentions of idolatry. Stay away, turn away, look away, don't be part of it. And, and, and I understand idolatry is obviously a, a negation of the notion of Hashem Echad, that there's only one God. I mean, everybody understands that. But what is this obsession that Moshe Rabbeinu seems to have, seems to have with idolatry, seems to have with idolatry. In order to understand this a little bit better, we have to look at several sources in the Rambam. Several sources in the Rambam. If you look in the, again, the Rambam, 
We'll do it this way. The Rabbah Hilchot Mulachim on page two, the next to the last source, the Rabbah Hilchot Mulachim, Perikud Aleph Amlecha Aleph, he says the following. Amelech HaMashiach, that's the, that's the topic. There is a, a Mashiach is an anointed one, the king who is anointed, the king who is anointed again in the future, who reestablishes uh, kingship and kingdom for B'nai Yisrael. I mean, this is like the dream. The dream and, and, and uh, the Rambam signs onto this dream. Without a doubt, the Rambam says, HaMelech HaMashiach, He's going to la'amod. La'amod, you know, that's uh, the position of power. People of power stand. Sometimes they sit, but they also stand. He says, He's going to reestablish the line of David HaMelech, the King David. And that line will achieve ruling, will rule as it did originally. Ubonea Mikdash, Umekabes Nitre Yisrael, and he, it will, it will, all the things we say in Shemona Esrei will come true. He, the Mashiach, is going to build the Beit Mikdash, and he will collect all the uh, Jews from whatever diaspora they happen to be in. And he will reestablish judgment in his own day. As it was once, there were judges, and the judges were inspired by their connection to the Torah. And uh, so people who are in doubt went to the Beit Mishpat, and they received information enabling them to to be uh, Torah Jews. And then he says, And of course, you have a Beit HaMikdash. What are you going to do with the Beit HaMikdash? You're going to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. And the primary thing is Korbanot, Makrivin Korbanot. That's what, that's what the Ramam, that's what the Ramam says. Osim shmitin v'yovlot kichol mitzvata amura batara, and they they keep the laws of shmita, the sabbatical years, the yovlot, the the jubilee years, kichol mitzvata amura batara, and they'll keep these times in accordance with all of which is stated in the Torah. Whoever does not agree that this person is really the Mashiach, or even somebody who announces that he's not waiting for the Mashiach, he's happy the way things are, right? Then He's not just denying the other prophets. The other prophets in Shayahu, Yemiyahu, Yechezkel, Torah, Uve Moshe, Rabbeinu. So if we stop here, we have to say that according to the Ramam, according to the Ramam, the Tvilot of Shemona Esrei are something that we can actually look forward to. There's no doubt that it's going to happen. Now, it may happen earlier, but it will certainly happen via Mota Mashiach. 
when the Mashiach comes, one of the signs of the Mashiach will be that he can affect these changes, that there'll be a leader, that there'll be somebody who gives us direction, that there'll be a Beit HaMikdash, that the way we romanticize the past, that's the future. Well, the way we romanticize the past, that's the future. So that's one halacha that uh, we didn't go through in its entirety, but uh, if you have a chance, you could take a look. The second halacha is the Ramah Milchot Beit HaBechira, Perik Aleph, Halacha Aleph. Again, another halacha the Rambam, where the Rambam says, Mitzvah Tasei Lasot Beit Lashem Muchan Liyot Makrivim Boakorbanot. Which means that we always should try. We should always try to build this place where we will be able to give sacrifices. We will celebrate in that place three times in the year. As all the Pasuk says, Make a Beit Hamikdash. It's an it's an ongoing obligation. It's re, it's it's there all the time, all the time. Shneimar v'suli Mikdash, u'kvar nitvareish b'Torah, mishkan she'as shav Moshe Rabbeinu. And this it's even notable that the Torah itself tells us how the the mishkan, the tabernacle, was actually built. So to show you how important it is, the idea that that building the Beit HaMikdash is the same as building the tabernacle, in the same level of importance. But the tabernacle was temporary. That you haven't come as yet. But if you do come to Eretz Israel and you are living there, and you do have the wherewithal, then you have the obligation. You have the obligation to build the Beit HaMikdash. What are you going to do with the Beit HaMikdash? That's in Hilchot Lachim. The Ramam says quite clearly, you have a Beit HaMikdash, you're going to give Korbanot. Who's going to lead you? Right? The Kohen Gadol, the Ramam doesn't mention, but of course, David, the, the inheritor of the mantle of David HaMelech, who's going to help you to, uh, to build a, uh, the Beit HaMikdash. So you know you see, I mean, to summarize, according to the Rambam, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that the tefillah that we have in the Shemona Esrei, which includes a, a, a kind of blatant reference to our future in the Beit HaMikdash, with a scion of the family of David HaMelech as king, all of that is going to happen, the Rambam says. He didn't say anything new. I mean, the Anshei Knesset Agdola, the people who made the Shvoda Esrei, who kind of made the Nusach of the Shvoda Esrei, and encapsulated our hopes in the words of the Shvoda Esrei prayer, right? Those people, those people knew prophetically, uh, academically, they knew that this was what was going to happen. They wouldn't have told us to pray for something unreasonable. We only pray for that that we are sure is going to happen. Otherwise, the prayer is kind of irrelevant. 
a prayer has got to be relevant. So this idea that we'll build the Beit HaMikdash and David HaMelech may sign as a family of David HaMelech will come to lead us. All of that is obviously, all that is obviously something very uh, special and remarkable. And that's what, that's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam says. However, I want to call your attention to another statement in the Rambam. And that's on page one. A kind of long quote from the Guide to the Perplexed about Korbanot. And actually, this chapter, part three, chapter 32, the entire chapter is worth a read. And we haven't got time to do that, so I'm going to start from the second uh, paragraph. The many pre- uh, precepts in our law, I mean, the, you know, the language in English is a little kind of. Uh, annoying, but it's okay. Uh, many precepts in our law, the result of a similar course adopted by the same supreme being, we'll see what the course is in a minute. It is namely impossible to go suddenly from one extreme to the other. It is therefore, according to the nature of man, impossible for him suddenly to discontinue everything to which he has been accustomed. Now God said Moshe, Moshe, Moses to make the Israelites a kingdom of priests and a holy nation by means of knowledge of God. As the Rambam says that primarily what we are about is knowing something about God that nobody else knows. Only we know it. And Moshe Rabbeinu was directed, right, to make us a holy nation by means of the knowledge of God. Unto thee it was shown that thou mightest know that the Lord is God, right, etc. Skipping a line, the Israelites were commanded to devote themselves to his service and serve him with all your heart. So the, the Jews the, in the desert were already directed to be totally involved, immersed in the in, in, the, in this idea that we could know something about God, right? And you shall serve the Lord your God, and you shall serve him. But the custom which was in those days general among all men, and the general mode of worship in which Israelites were brought up consisting in sacrificing animals, existed in sacrificing animals in those temples which contained certain images to bow down to those images and burn incense before them, those temples which contained certain images to bow down to those images and to burn incense before them, religious and ascetic purposes, pure persons were in those days the persons that were devoted to the service of the temples erected to the stars, it says, and explained to us. It was in accordance with the wisdom and plan of God as displayed in uh, in the whole, in the stars, displayed in the whole creation that he did not command us to give up and to discontinue all these matters of service or to obey, or to obey uh, the, the desire of creation. If I would like summarize, I mean, we read a little bit, I want to just summarize. And the Rambam says, the Rambam seems to say, 
that the that the mitzvah, the mitzvah of sacrifice, is in some way uh, a control against idolatry. It was in those days, whatever those days are, whatever those days are, in those days, in those days, Moshe uh, had to talk to Bnei Yisrael, and he said, talk to them about worship. So they said, worship, that's something that everybody knows about. Everybody does that. And we will also do that. We will also do that. So Moshe said, yeah, you'll do it, but you'll do it the way God wants you to do it. How does God want you to do it? God wants you to sacrifice animals, yes, but not any place, anywhere, but just in the Beit HaMikdash, not any time except certain times of the day, of the month, of the year. In other words, we want to keep up that minhag, but we want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Bnei Yisrael. So this Rambam caused a lot of consternation amongst various Rishonim and Akronim. So how could it be that the uh, that uh, that Baruch Hu would tell us to do something just to wean us away from the same idea amongst the Goyim? In other words, the Goyim, they also want to give sacrifices. They also want to burn incense. So we'll do it our way. We'll say, we'll do the same thing. We'll give you the same kind of feeling. But we'll do it. We'll do it our way. We'll do it our way. So uh, leading, uh, leading the response against the Rambam was the Ramban, Nachmanides. Right. The Rabban, the Rabban said, look, it's not reasonable to say that God asks us to do something which doesn't mean anything. It's just uh, get to, uh, for us to avoid, to avoid being like them, being like the Goyim. And at the end up, we are like them. Uh, so we have this, we have this issue. We have this issue. The Rambam, the Rambam is, uh, says, and and this might be used to explain our pasuk, our psukim in, in the beginning of Re'eh. What's the problem of idolatry? What's the problem of idolatry? Idolatry looks like it might be acceptable, it's the Ramah, it might be acceptable to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish people as well. Because idolatry, the service of idolatry, is somehow an attempt to get me closer to that God. And I do the same thing. I try to get closer. So since the, this method of being close to God, which is sacrifice, uh, incense burning, um, concentration on, on the relationship that might be, says all of those things, all of those things seem to exist in idolatrous centers. They seem to be part of the world of idolatry. So the Moshe Rabbeinu knew, Moshe Rabbeinu knew in the uh, last, when he's talking to Bnei Yisrael, he's trying to explain to them, don't do idolatry. And they probably said to him, well, we're not going to do idolatry. We're, we're with you, Moshe Rabbeinu. We're with the mitzvahs. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, no, you don't understand. You can't get involved in idolatry. You can't. 
and B'nai Yisrael, they said, we're not going to do it, we're not going to get involved, we, we learned our lesson, we have been punished sufficiently, we're not going to do what you say we shouldn't do, right, we're not going to do that. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to convince them that they might do an Avera, and we know that after the Jews went into Eretz Canaan, right, they were divided up the land, and the, the first obligation that they had was to get rid of all the idolatrous people in the land of Canaan. So we know that the book of Shoftim tells us that in the south, right, the territory that was under the auspices of Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, they actually did it. They got rid of them. But in the north, Yisachar and Zebulun, etc., they didn't do it. They didn't get rid of the idolatry. And because they didn't get rid of the idolatry, there were wars every 40 years and things changed and the political situation was unstable, etc., etc. But you have to understand that the reason that idolatry raised its ugly head in the northern kingdom of Israel is because they were confused about the point they thought that the idolatry was legitimate. They thought that, okay, we have our form of service. We have sacrifices. We have uh, a Beit HaMikdash. I mean, they may not have had that at the beginning, but they had Bamot. They had places where they would give sacrifices. And so they said, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. I mean, after all, what did they think when they built the golden calf? What did they think? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say exactly in the Torah what they thought. And Moshe Rabbeinu coming down from Arsinai and saw them dancing around the golden calf thought that this was the, the worst disaster of all times. So the Baruch decided to destroy the people and start over again or thought that that would be a good, a good option until Moshe Rabbeinu in some way talked him out of it, talked God out of it. It's a little strange to say, but, but that's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Well, how'd they do that? How'd they do, I mean, standing at Har Sinai, having heard the voice of God, having received the Ten Commandments, two commandments directly from God's mouth, and the rest of Moshe Rabbeinu told us, how did it happen, I asked that they fell into this trap for a golden calf. I mean, what's the, what, why couldn't they wait another few minutes? What was it that they felt bereft of? What was it so important for them to build the golden calf? So you have to say, you don't have to say, but you could say that they didn't see the golden calf exactly as a denial of other obligations, that you could have more than one obligation. And that more than one obligation, where you could be obligated to more than one God, even though that seems to run contrary to Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein, Hashem Echad. Hashem Echad means that God has this quality of oneness. But we know that the Rambam said in the beginning of the Zohar that what happened in the world 
was that they made a mistake. They thought about it. They thought about worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. And they said the sun gives life to the world. The moon is in control of the tides. And so they said, they said, why would God do that? Why would God give power to the sun and give power to the moon? I mean, wouldn't it be more reasonable for God to protect God somehow? So the mistake that was made, the Rambam calls it a ta'ud kidola, a big mistake, not just a mistake, a big mistake. So the people, the people made this mistake and they said, God wants me to serve the God, the sun and the moon because God gave the sun and the moon power. If God didn't want me to serve this God, the sun and the moon, would God have given the sun and the moon power? That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. So when they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu had abandoned them, and they weren't sure about the timing when Moshe was supposed to return, so they said, well, it must be that the gods that we left behind in Egypt also have something to say about the world. And so we'll build a golden calf. So we'll build a golden calf. So you understand that the Avodah Zorah is not a problem where somebody adopts a disgusting position, an unreasonable position, something that has no no control. We get rid of that. I always say, look at look at that. You know, some people realize that smoking cigarettes was really bad for your health. So we've managed to educate people away from smoking cigarettes. You can actually do that. It's not always easy. It's not always what you can do it. But Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to B'nai Yisrael at the beginning of Pasha Re'eh, the beginning of the Pasha Re'eh, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Aklala. Means that you think there's a better derech or an alternative derech or some place you can go that is almost the same but not quite. Why would Moshe Rabbeinu think that? Why would accuse them of, of, of wanting to go after foreign gods? And the answer is because that's the way the world was. It wasn't a world of guilty and innocent, that B'nai Israel were innocent, that all the rest of the people were guilty. It wasn't quite that way. There was an argument. There was a discussion. And those people, they said to B'nai Yisrael, look, Moshe Rabbeinu is gone. Maybe our God can help you. Maybe our God can make it up to you. That's what, that's what the idolatrous position, 
the idolatrous position was. And yet, and so, so the, uh, the Rambam in the Moran says, obviously there, there were two possibilities since the world was committed to being a world of sacrifices and a world in which animal sacrifices, birds were sacrificed, all kinds of things were, were sacrificed. And so the, the Torah could have done one of two things. Could either have said nothing, no sacrifices, right? The way Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to Avraham Avinu that Kedus Yitzchak, no. Or the Torah could have said, I'll "Let you do it a little bit, our way, but make sure you see it as our sacrifices." So Hakadosh Baruch, this is the Rambam says, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "That's what we'll do. We'll do it that way." But not to make a mistake. The Rambam didn't mean that if there's an awareness in the world, if idolatry comes to an end, as the Gemara says, that Chachamim did away with idolatry. If idolatry comes to an end, if it's no longer a problem, it's not something that I have to that I have to worry about. Not something I have to worry about then. Forget about it. So the Rama makes it very clear. The Rama, I think, makes it very clear that mitzvot of the Torah can have a variety of reasons and purposes, all of which simultaneously are important and educational. And so the Rama and the Moran Nebuchim says, sacrifices, they were able to get us out of the regimen of idolatry. That's what their purpose was. Tear us away from the practice, the idolatrous practices of our neighbors, the idolatrous practices of the non-Torah-observant people. But at the same time, the Rambam says, it's a mitzvah that comes from once it's a mitzvah irrelevant of its purpose or one of its purpose or its salient purposes he says the, he says the, the, the irrelevant of the purpose is the sanctity of the command to B'nai Yisrael and so the Rambam in at least two places where he talks about the Beit HaMikdash, he says in Hilchot Melachim, build the Beit HaMikdash and put in sacrifices, where there's no longer a problem of idolatrous action. And also, the Rambam says, you have to always build the Beit HaMikdash. What are you building the Beit HaMikdash for? For sacrifices. When you build the Beit HaMikdash in the future, there won't be any idolatrous action. There won't be avodazarah, foreign service to foreign gods and foreign ways. That won't exist. But the Beit HaMikdash will exist and the sacrifice of the Beit HaMikdash will be given and the world will understand the deeper meanings 
of the of the uh, Beit HaMikdash. All the best. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Be well. Uh.